0: We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of peace, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible
1: Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts not your heads is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day there were no tape recorders so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week he was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The truth in God's word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by his grace came with me too. The unchanging word broadcast is in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 in our lesson for today. Chapter 15. Now that continues the same theme started in Romans 14 of the relationship of Christians with Christians and the principle of personal liberty that is controlled by love. Now, in verses 1-7, through Dr. Mitchell points out the differences between liberty and license, and the differences between pleasing oneself only rather than seeking the good of one's neighbor. And we have the example of Christ, who pleased not himself, for he delighted to do the will of God his Father, and he bore the reproaches of those who reproached God. Now, the importance and necessity of Scripture as the source of encouragement is stated, Did you notice that when Paul wrote these verses, he was referring to the Old Testament? Most likely, it was a translation of the Hebrew Scriptures known as the Septuagint. In other words, Paul used a translation. So, turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 15, verse 1, with Dr. Mitchell.
0: Thank you. We are dealing with the book of Romans, and we have just finished chapter 14. We've been dealing here with a very, very practical thing, the relationship of Christians in their responsibility to other Christians, especially to those who are weak Christians. Now, I'd like to read the first seven verses of chapter 15, where we have the principle of liberty. And before I read these verses, may I suggest what we've been doing? In chapter 14, what is my responsibility to the weaker brethren? In the first four verses of chapter 14, I'm to receive them. Uh, They belong to the Savior. The ground for receiving them is because we have the same Lord, which you have in verses 5 to 12. And then we are to seek the edification of all believers. And here you have the question of the use of liberty. How far can I go in my liberty with respect to weaker Christians? And we are to avoid being stumbling blocks. We are to walk before God, not only as his children, but as those who represent him. And we are to manifest that by our love for each other. And then he takes up the question of the conscience of both strong and the weak. And we found out in verses 17 and 18 that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then we had to follow peace, run after peace with all men. Uh, The question here, of course, is this matter of let not eating and drinking destroy peace among believers. Work toward the edification of all Christians. And the work of God is far more important than satisfying the flesh. You know, it's even apart from eating and drinking, how often churches are split because of someone or a few little, or a little group in an assembly who want their own way. They're not concerned about the, the edification and the building up of God's people. They just want their own program and their own way. And they'll destroy a church if they don't get their own way. You, you mean to tell me that happens? Well, it's happening all the time. God grant to those who are in the place of leadership. I speak not of pastors so much. I'm speaking of those who are in the board of deacons or elders or council, whatever it may be, whatever your board is called. You've got a tremendous responsibility before God for the edification and the building up of God's people, especially those who are weak in the faith. And we are to make peace with all men, especially God's people. And again, I repeat it, liberty that is misused. Is a sin against Christ. Then you have the walk of faith in 22 to 23 of chapter 14. Uh, Do not air your faith and your freedom before others because you might cause them to stumble. Have it before God. I'm sure of one thing. If you walk before God with a love for him and for his people, you will see to it that you will edify, encourage, and build up those who are weak in the faith. Now, we come to chapter 15, and you have the last thing in this division, the principle of liberty. How shall I act toward others who are weak in the faith? Let me read these first seven verses of chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of peace, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus." that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, this is the final conclusion, wherefore receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now here you have the principle of liberty. And again, need I say this again, that liberty and license are two different things. License, you do what you want to do without regard to what happens to anybody else. Liberty, freedom, not to do something which will be a stumbling block to others. Real liberty has tremendous respect for the rights of others. For no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. As long as you're on this earth, my friend, you must live with other people. And you must live with other Christians. And he's dealing here, of course, with other Christians especially. And if you claim to be strong, you have a tremendous responsibility to those who are weak. Let me read the verse. Verse 1 of chapter 15. We then, that is, you who claim to be strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm reminded of that passage in Galatians chapter 6, the first two verses, where Paul writes, If a brother be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, you that are strong, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If a brother be out of joint, and you know, There are many, many Christians that are out of joint. Well, someone is saying, Mr. Mitchell, maybe you are out of joint. Well, that may be so. Whatever you say, let me say this though, if you claim to be strong, you are to bear the infirmities of the weak. Or as Galatians says, if you're strong, you are to put the brother back into joint again. Receive him, as you had in chapter 14, verse one. You should bear the infirmities of the weak, not judge them, not criticize them, you must bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please yourself. That's hard, isn't it? Not to please yourself oh, how how we'd like to get around that, most of us, and i I think I speak real when, when I speak in reality when I speak of God's people. Most of us today, we spend our lives pleasing ourselves, even even doing good things. There's a great deal of joy out of it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those good things. But when I come to a Christian who's weak in the faith, and it means for me sacrificing something on their behalf, then I should sacrifice for their sake, that they might be built up in the faith, that they might be strong, they might be able to walk on their own two feet. But a great many Christians need a lot of help. So many are on crutches. So many are in, in hospitals. And I speak not of the literal hospital. Christians who, who in fact, some, some churches are nothing else but uh, convalescent wards. We've got so many Christians in need. And if you claim to be strong, if you claim to be spiritual, Then you ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to criticize or to judge them, and not to please yourself. For every one of us, let every one of us please his neighbor. Do the thing that's going to please your brother in Christ. Oh, what an atmosphere of fellowship and joy and blessing there would be among God's people if they would all try to please the other fellow. That is, seek the other fellow's good. I don't mean to to taffy up the other fellow, pat him on the back on something that's not real. But I mean to edify him, attract him to Christ, especially if he's failed God. Encourage him in the Lord. There are a lot of Christians that need encouragement. Oh, brother, let's, let's see to it that we'll encourage them instead of discouraging them. And then the example in verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. You know, this kind of this kind of hits you pretty hard, doesn't it? What's the example? Christ pleased not himself. Do you know of any place in our Lord's life among men that he pleased himself? I've oftentimes said there's only one verse where he ever said to his father, Father, I want something for myself. That's in John 17, 24, when he said, Father, I will that all those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Oh, friend, Christ pleased not himself, and the reproaches that should have fallen upon people fell on him. The reproaches that men had against God fell upon Christ. He's the example. May may I give you a few scriptures, just to kind of make it very precious to you. In the 40th Psalm, verses 6 to 8, it is written in the volume of the book, I delight to do thy will, O my God, for thy word is in my heart. I delight to do thy will, O my God, for thy word is in my heart. In John chapter 4, you could say to his disciples in verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. My great desire, when they said to Jesus, Has anybody fed him? Have you any meat? And the Lord said, I have meat to eat. You know, and run off. My meat. The great passion of my heart is to do the will of him that sent me. In John chapter 5, verse 30, For I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. In John eight twenty nine, I do always the things that please him. In Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10, which is a a repetition from the 40th Psalm, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I came to do thy will, O my God. And it's repeated twice. I came to do thy will, O my God. His whole life, his whole life was one of ministering, as you could say in Matthew chapter 20. Verses 27 to 28. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. He took upon him the form of a slave, was found in fashion as a man. He came to serve. In John chapter 13, he took a towel and girded himself. What a sight for angels. Angels who had worshiped him. What a sight for them to see the Son of God on his knees, girded with a towel, washing the dirty feet of his disciples. O oh, friend, O oh, friend, Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that f- reproach thee fell on me. His whole life, I say, was one of ministering to others. Why should he leave the glory where holiness and righteousness and joy and peace and obedience and glory was the order of the day to come down here to this earth with its sinfulness, with its corruption, with its rebellion? Why did he come? because he loved you and because he loved me. Hence, my friend, if Christ could do that for you and for me, is it asking too much that we should live for the other brother's sake? That self-interest and self-desire should be put away for his sake? Would it not be a wonderful thing for us to give up certain things if it means the hindering of another Christian going on with God? If it means robbing yourself of the fellowship or if it means robbing the other brother of his fellowship with you? Can't you give up some things? Can't you see him in Christ? Can't you receive him as a brother beloved in the Savior? and love him for Christ's sake, and be willing to sacrifice for his sake that he might grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Don't rob him of your fellowship and destroy his testimony for God and destroy his fellowship with God because of your self-seeking and your so-called boasted liberty. It's what, it's what Paul's talking about. And if you claim to be spiritual, if you claim to be strong, and you ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please yourself. And the object lesson for us is Christ Himself. My, what an example. Why, what an example. To think that he should leave the glory just because he loved you. And where were you? Active in your sins? Where were you, dead in trespasses and sins? Where was the other brother in the same position? And if God. The son loved him and loved you and died for both of you. Don't you think you ought to love each other? Sacrifice for each other? There's only one answer to that, isn't it? Now for the encouragement from verses 4 to 7. Let me just take a word here on the encouragement. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might of hope is inferring here that the whole old testament gives to us a revelation and an example what of of patience and comfort but brother i can't stand that other brother i can't stand the things that he does i can't stand him he's weak he's stumbling he's a is a disgrace to the lord yes that's because you need patience That's because you need the love of Christ to be welling up in your heart for him. And remember, Christ pleased not himself. And the whole Old Testament is a revelation of the fact, written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope, not only personal hope, but hope for the other believer, that he might become strong in Christ. Now, verse 5 and 6 and 7, now the God of patience. Why didn't he say, now the God of glory? Why didn't he say the God of all grace? Why didn't he say the God of peace? No, no, what strong believers need is patience for the, for the weak believer. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another According to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the strong and the weak, together, glorifying God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Oh, what a scripture. You know, again I come to it, the exactness of scripture the Spirit of God doesn't use these titles of God without a purpose. I repeat it again, He didn't say what the strong Christian needs in his relationship to the weak brother is not grace, is not peace, but patience and consolation. And hence the result is, He says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you who are strong to be like-minded to the one who was weak according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, so that both of you together, not one kicked out on the other one, glorying in his pride on the inside, but together, the strong and the weak, together with one mouth, may glorify God, even the the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So together, you may have fellowship. May I remind you of the first verse of chapter 14, The believer that is weak in the faith, you receive him, not in the light of your own conscience. Don't judge him in the light of your own conscience, but because he's in Christ, so that together with one mouth you may glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. Tell me, how did Christ receive you in grace, in tenderness, in compassion, in love? Is that right? That's right. Then how shall I receive my brother? Who just doesn't agree with me? or my brother who's weak, possibly a little worldly, frail, doesn't know very much of the truth of God. How shall I receive him? In Christ, have fellowship with him so that together with one mouth ye may glorify God. And receive ye one another as Christ received us. Remember, he is the object of the grace of God just as much as you are. He's the object of the affection and love of Christ just as much as you are. Then, my friend, receive him, have fellowship with him, and together glorify God. Now, starting in at verse 8, we come to a new section And I just pray that the Lord may make it very precious and very real to you. And the Lord bless you abundantly today for his name's sake.
2: I hear the Savior say watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stone.